0: everybody. Welcome to episode 124 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I'm one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. I'm
1: another host, Mr. Paul Robinson. And today, I'm very excited. We have a, a, a very special guest that I'm excited about because I... Just you? just You're <laughs> not because I... I don't get to be excited yeah. about anything. <laughs> anyway, there's a, I have a long history with following this gentleman. Okay. Um, so please introduce yourself.
2: Hey there. I'm Zach Lipovsky. Uh I'm a director... Uh, writer, sometimes producer and software designer.
1: <laughs> I want to get to your career and stuff because it, I, I find and it
0: stuff. <laughs> you, know, you
1: made, you made some things or something. I don't know. But, um, I think most people like me, a lot of people will, will have known you from a uh, shot mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I often wonder cause I use it all the time. I can't ever film without it. It's like essential
2: yeah I'm the same way and I hear that a lot from a lot of people <laughs> yeah Congrats. which is, which
1: has got to be very like fulfilling for you you know to have created something that a lot of people use and not only use but like if I didn't have that I'd be screwed I've become so dependent on it like I often wonder like how if that kind of like overshadows your your career in any way you know it's like you're a filmmaker like first and foremost you're a filmmaker that's what you want to you tell stories and, and everything but I often wonder if like I did this myself I'm like oh he's the shot lister guy but he's a filmmaker <laughs> in his own right so I often I wonder um how that actually the dichotomy of like, that works for you
2: yeah I mean for me um filmmaking is still very much my full-time job uh, that's still how I spend you know ten of the twelve hours I work every day <laughs> um, and Shot Lister, uh, it's been around for i think eight years now um really since the, the iPad was created maybe mm-hmm. nine years um, and we have a good team about four or five people that you know I manage but we they they kind of um they're all like super great at their jobs and kind of just keep doing what they do um so I really just have to kind of dive in there and kind of nudge the team for, you know, an hour a day. But um, most of my effort is on the filmmaking side. And, you know, (laughs) what you said there kind of reminded me of a funny moment, which was um, because like early in my filmmaking career, um, my big break was on this reality television show. On the lot that that, um, Spielberg did. And it was sort of like American Idol for filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So for many years, because I was on television, People would come up to me and and know me as, oh, you're hey, you're that guy from that TV show, and it'd be like, we talk about film, and then and that happened for many years. And then I was at a party once uh, in LA of a friend 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 of mine's. Um, you might know Peter Soreto, who's part of the Slash oh, sure, yeah. cast and stuff. I was at his birthday party, and he, well, I know someone walked, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and his neighbor, he invited his neighbors over, and they were like. Hey, you're that guy, and I was expecting from that reality show the guy who did Shawlister, and I was like, (laughs) like, I couldn't have been more proud. Like that was like, because it's really interesting, you know, when you're working on films, it's a very intangible thing. Mm -hmm. Like everything you work on eventually gets dismantled, and you've got this piece of media that just sort of exists you know, on a streaming service, or maybe on a DVD, and you might have a poster on your wall, but basically, it ceased to exist physically, mm-hmm. all the sets get destroyed, <laughs> eventually, all yeah. the props yeah. get lost. Um, But ShotLister is a tangible thing that you yeah. can see people using day to day and posting on social media. And um, it was really cool to kind of meet people that use it in the real world. And it was really cool to kind of have them know me through that, because it's really just something that uh, me and a very small group of people have just kind of built out of necessity. Yeah. because um, it's something we like like you, I, I would never be able to shoot without it. Yeah. Um
0: there's worse things to be known for. Yeah. I have y a name. Out. I'm not the guy from this or the guy <laughs> from that. Like I
1: have a name, people. <laughs> um, but what uh did you did you have a, a background in in software engineering or anything like that? Or is that just something you're like, you know what, let me figure this out.
2: Um. No, I didn't have a software engineer. I mean, I've always been a, a computer nerd, so I've mm-hmm. always known a basic level of kind of, you know, I could build a website and mm-hmm. I, I knew how to use pretty much every piece of software at a really high level. I was kind of lucky that kind of as I grew up, I was at the very beginning of the age group that I was born in 1984, which, you know, is the year when the Macintosh was created. So I was mm-hmm. sort of, by the time I was in elementary school, The computers were in the classroom for the very first time, so I kind of grew up right with computers as they got more and more complex, which allowed me to have a very high level of proficiency with them because they were very simple when I started using them and got progressively more complicated as I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like by the time Final Cut Pro came out, the first you know Final Cut Pro one, I was in grade ten, and I was the only you know I had had much as much time with it as people that were in their thirties. Um, because it had just come out and I had way more time to use it. And, and as we eventually got to, um, iPhones, you know, summer of 2007 when the iPhone came out, I was first in line to have one and, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, kind of, I've always been at the forefront of technology and the merger of technology with filmmaking, mm-hmm. um, doing my own visual effects, um, editing my own stuff, you know, learning every piece of software I could. And so I had a basically a design background, and I had a lot of experience with using apps, but I'd never built an app. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, basically, when I was getting ready to do my first movie, uh, which was a TV movie for the Sci-Fi Channel, one of those monster movies where mm-hmm. people get run around the woods, get getting eaten for <laughs> an hour and a half. Um, I had made a whole bunch of shorts, but I'd never made a movie. And what immediate when I was in prep, what immediately became obvious to me is. There was no software for dealing with shot lists. Basically, the, what everyone was using was Excel.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, they
2: would fill out an Excel spreadsheet and then print it out, which is all and, sorts and, of fun.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and is not scalable. Once you're, I quickly did the math and I was like, wait a minute. Like I did some math and like, at the rate I'm doing shot lists like shots per page, there's going to be 1500 shots in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that's a really big Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> that's not, and that's not going to be very useful. Um, and so at the time I did some Googling and the iPad had just come out when I was working on that movie. It was early, like 2012, 2013, sometime around then. Um, and FileMaker, which is basically sort of super Excel
0: mm-hmm.
2: was an app that you could, um, basically build spreadsheets that were really complicated and actually had, like, a, a user interface. Um, and they had an iPad app, so you could actually um, see your FileMaker file on an iPad. And so I've actually, I built a prototype for for Shotlister that I used on that first movie. And everyone around me, all the crew and everyone, were like, wow, that is amazing. Like, that should be an app. Um, and even my <laughs> my mom, who I, I was sleeping on her floor at the time, <laughs> because I was uh, living in LA, but everything I did shot in Vancouver and she lived in Vancouver. So I slept was sleeping on her floor and she was looking at it going, this is incredible. Cause she used to be a television producer. Okay. And okay. she I was, to was say, like, moms don't usually. Yeah. I was going to say your mom's like really, <laughs> yeah. uh, really into what you do. <laughs> yeah. I was very lucky because she was a TV producer. So I grew up on her sets, sleeping under her edit suites, you know, mm. as she's working late and, um, you know, raised by a single mom. And she, immediately was like this should be she's an entrepreneur herself and it's like this should be an app why don't you make this an app and I'm like well I don't know how to program and I don't have enough money to hire someone to program it uh and she's like well I have money and so she <laughs> uh you know we paid she paid the initial investment um to build the app uh which was cheap at the time it was like yeah. 8 grand to build like you know and we made that back in the first month um And, and then she basically became the CEO of the company, uh, um, her and I have been running the company ever since Uh, I kind of do all the designing and kind of, you know, working on the app itself. And she has grown into doing all the social media, all the tech support, all the, you know, all the kind of management of the team and finances and tax credits and all that type of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, we've been doing it together ever since. So I, I still don't do the programming, but um, I basically do all the graphic design and sort of user interface and and kind of product thinking.
1: The fun stuff, yeah. yeah. You're at that stage now, which is nice. <laughs> so this whole kind of uh, having you on is just a big ruse for me to get in my feature requests directly to you.
2: <laughs> Let's do it.
1: <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I do have two, which I'll bring up. Um, a Windows version, which I'm sure you're sick of hearing by now. And um, the one thing that I, I find myself wanting a lot is when I cause I use storyboards a lot. I know some people don't, some people do, but I want to be able to, and I link it to Dropbox and all that fun stuff. But I want to be able to, if I click one storyboard and then I go in and I write everything, and when I click back into Dropbox, I want to be already in that same folder.
2: Yeah. Versus so... a,
1: but that's, that's literally, that's the only thing I can complain <laughs> about. It's like, that is it.
2: So can you make that happen? Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the we we definitely get the request for having the direct you know it remember the directory that you're in, um, and that's something we're working on. Oh, I'm the, not the first. Should, yeah, <laughs> um, the Windows version we actually did build and release a Windows version. Um, Microsoft a few years ago actually reached out, and they were launching one of their new products, I think one of their Surface products, and wanted the film industry to use, you know, their Microsoft. Uh, Apps and so they paid for us and a bunch of other film companies to build a Microsoft version. Oh, okay. No um, and we did. Um, but it was. Egg on my face. Um, it was a very painful experience. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Great. And it was very difficult to, like, the support just wasn't there on their end to mm-hmm. make the apps like work really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we launched it, um, just the user base didn't support fixing, like the amount of people buying it and yeah. using it didn't support the amount of issues that it had <laughs> that needed fixing uh, Yeah, I could so imagine it Um So we eventually uh, just uh, concentrated just on Android and um, iOS. And and then we we basically built macOS, which was the biggest um, request that we had at the time. And and since then, macOS has really taken off.
1: And so um, how's and that experience working with Apple versus working with Microsoft? I assume well, it's easier. I think he just told
2: you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the, Apple has its own issues because they're very inaccessible. They, you know, you can't really talk to Apple, um, and they make decisions that radically affect your business yeah. that you have no no say over. But there's a, a, a much bigger user base that's willing to pay for things, and a much bigger user base uh, um, APIs. So basically, they do a they do a huge amount of the programming for you that you can then basically that's that works, and then you can just sort of bring it in and tweak it. Rather than having to build it from scratch, like there were just like things on the Windows side where it was like the most basic things that an app would need, we were having to literally build from scratch yeah. um, rather than just be like, oh, and here's a button, and here's a scrolling thing. It'd be like, we have to build the code of how this thing scrolls. Oh wow! Um, so it, and then something would change on their end, and it would break. So, yeah. um, Apple, you know, it, it got everyone knows that it's it's got its its benefits and its cons, it's, it's great, that it's this shiny garden of, yeah. of everything kind of looking nice and, and generally working um, and people willing to pay for it. Um, the biggest issue for us, um, which I think most people don't really realize, if anyone listening is thinking of building an app of any kind, is that- <laughs> Don't. Um, the vast majority of our effort, like 80 or 90% of our effort goes into keeping it working not Mm -hmm. into making new stuff, which is really, really painful as someone who loves making new stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you think of all the new devices and all the new software updates that happen, every time that breaks the app. So we're, um, and programmers are really expensive. And so we spend the, and then once you add three different platforms and a backend, keeping all of that working together as everything is constantly being updated and changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it costs Matt all most of our revenue just goes to keeping it working, wow. um, which is great because people continue to use it. And I definitely like you rely on it and need it to continue to work. Um, but it sucks because I'd rather use 80% of our income to make new stuff, yeah. make new awesome features, make make Dropbox remember what directory you're doing <laughs> yeah. when you are. Yeah. Um, so we only end up being able to add just a few features a year because um, it, because we also have to add them to three platforms at once because mm-hmm. um, we have to the file needs to be able to be opened on Mac OS, iOS, and Android, um, and so we have to build build the feature three times. Yeah um and make sure they all work together
1: yeah i think that's something that yeah like you said no, n- not a lot of people realize I that we'll you assume know? that
0: if you have an app that's successful yeah. that you're just like rich yeah you're just sitting <laughs> no. there
1: rolling in it but it's like it's true like every little update that your phone has and most people you know will just let it update overnight and not even think about it but then every single app i mean maybe it won't break something but probably most of the time it will and you're gonna have to adjust for it or you want to take advantage of you know, whatever improvements have been made on the phone that you're at, your app may be able to take every
0: it. single up t- Every single time I update my phone, one of my apps does not come back the same. Yeah. Almost, like probably like 80% of the time. Every so often it's like, oh, it's it's like this, you know, it's like a, this waiting game. I'm so like, now, oh, what's going to crash? <laughs> you know, like what am so I not going to get?
2: Update, every time you update your phone now, think of the tens of thousands, if not hundreds <laughs> of thousands of programmers that are pulling their hair out of yep. the back Crossing their fingers that the app <laughs> arrives and works, yeah I
1: always see that and it's funny too because whenever i update i'll I'll have that notification that like twenty apps need to be updated or whatever and thats all that fun stuff but um and I don't want to start a whole like uh w- windows mac war but they're you know I use both so you know at home I have a pc and at my my work day job which is like doing motion graphics and stuff that I work on a uh, on a mac so you yeah. know to me they're all just there's benefits of both right you know i love the sure. the power that i can build out of a pc and put exactly yeah. what i want in it and blah 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 but the the user interface and then the the uh, the simplicity I, I guess for lack of a better word things just working on a mac uh, are the benefit there but they have their their drawbacks as well you know i'm frustrated because things aren't working on my pc but i go to work and you know it, you yeah. know after effects I crashes on a mac experience. too so you know
2: yeah i have a i have a pc for for basically vr VR gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great that I'm able to do that on there, but it's definitely frustrating if I haven't gamed in like three weeks, like getting the thing to work at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, because all the different parts of the get to VR to work all need different updates. And then suddenly it just, you know, some part of it doesn't work anymore. And it's just like, yeah, it's frustrating on that side.
1: Yeah, I just had an issue with Red Giant. And I, and I love Red Giant, but like, I don't know, I think it was Denoiser stopped working. I was like, oh, what the hell now? It's just, it would make my footage disappear. So I just, I had to upgrade my, you know, update my my driver for my um, video card and it was working fine. So it's like, it's just little things like that that are really annoying because there's so much in that chain that could go wrong for, you know, I was, we were talking about it on our morning walk um, about how- Like old people. Yeah. How, you know, <laughs> like, it's just a matter of like, you have this chain and like, if I can't, if After Effects freezes, well, is that After Effects? Is it my OS? Is it something, is it a, a piece of hardware? I, and then yeah. you start that troubleshooting process and it's
2: and it's always when there's a deadline. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> which there is, that, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah, which yeah. there is, yeah.
0: It's for a competition, so we're we're quite literally running out of time here.
1: Yeah, and so, um, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I it's like with After Effects, I have a love-hate with After Effects. I love After Effects because I've been using it since I think version six or something. Everyone had the radio tower. And so I'm super comfortable in it. I know it really well. I like working in it, but there's just so many drawbacks, you know, like multi threading. And why is it, why can I render out of Octane a fully 3D (laughs) scene faster than I can a flat scene? And, you know, there's just things like that that, you know, that just drive me nuts. I think a lot of that,
2: and I don't know, you know, Adobe and and their programmers, but one of the things we face is um, it doesn't seem that long ago, eight years. But the amount that programming languages have changed in eight years Mm. is is huge. And so one of the biggest issues for us is, is just being a, like being eight years in the mobile app world is like being an old grandpa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's like huge chunks of the app are written on code that was designed on iOS one.
1: Yeah.
2: And I, you know, iOS two or three or whatever the iOS is that they added the app store and uh, and then so then you're you 're you're constantly breaking stuff that worked because you have to build a piece of it in a newer language, um, but then that piece doesn't work you know so there's this sort of behind the scenes thing with a piece of software like like After Effects where parts of it that were written many years ago may not work as well as parts of it that were written recently, right. um, just because they 're written in older languages yeah. <laughs> less, less efficient. It's like and, they just, and it's the, the, the too expensive sans-script. to rebuild them. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Sanskrit well, that's the of computers. Thing. I,
1: I've always said that they just need a like a page one rewrite and just, you know, sure. you have to break that it costs, off at some point. It uh, you know? costs a
2: lot of money to do that. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, bye. I would love to page one rewrite short lister, but <laughs> I, uh, it's unfeasible.
1: Yeah. I pay them every month, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, you know, uh, not personally for myself, like not really have understanding the language as much because I don't deal with it. It's just always interesting to me to see, uh, you know, talking about computers in the eighties. I was, I was born in 79. So I was still, you know, computers were hitting like when I was like junior high-ish, just started there. And, you know, they had computer room and we're like, what the hell is this? You know, and (laughs) what do you do? And at that time it was like Oregon Trail and Carbon San Diego. That's literally all we used (laughs) computers for maybe you would write something or then there was that thing where you would talk to the computer, but it had a very limited language. So, you, you know, we were always trying to like say perverted, horrible things to it to see what we can get the computer to do. (laughs) Um, but I think of, um, you see this in films a lot when, when you think of where we should be, uh, on a technological scale, as, as far as we were concerned in the eighties, where we should be now, you know, cars should be flying, um, we should have ch- all ch- have chips in our brains and, you know, all of this stuff. And um, you never really think of the progression of technology, these things that come with it. You know, in the 80s, you never thought like, yeah, you're going to have a computer like in your hand all the time. But there's these things called updates. And here's what's it's going to be a huge pain in the ass. And, you know, you just it's like you yeah. just think of the, the technology and how cool it's going to be, but not necessarily all the the kinks that that come with that. I mean, we're, you know, we have way cooler things now than we did back then. But um, I just still feel like when I hear you complain about stuff, I'm like, shouldn't we be past that by now? I feel like with what we can yeah. do. Yeah. How are you having a problem like that? That yeah. seems like such a like a, a ridiculously menial thing that shouldn't be an issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I could I could I could do a whole entire podcast series based on that concept alone. <laughs> yeah. of like what? what well, me- I remember
2: when I was in elementary school. I had a really great teacher that kind of was encouraging me to do more with computers. And and I was an actor at the time. So I was one of the few kids who had money to actually buy, you know, hardware. And I bought a a hundred megabyte hard drive that was bigger than my laptop is now. Like it was like, you know, it was a foot by probably eight inches and then like probably six inches high. It was, it was big enough that the whole computer sat on top of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just bought a hundred megabyte hard drive. Like, I'm never going to need to buy another (laughs) (laughs) in in, in my life. And he accurately told me in my my 12-year-old brain or whatever, however old I was, um, well, Zach, um, files are going to get bigger. And I was like, I mean, how could, at the time it was like, you know, action script files and like, you know, text edit files. And I was like, how could they ever, like, what, you're gonna say there's gonna be like a file that's like one megabyte? Like that's never <laughs> like yeah. that's never gonna happen because they're all like, you know, twenty three kilobytes at the time. Yeah. And he's like, Well, files will get bigger and hard drives will need to get bigger as well. And, you know, I was like it was unfathomable to me. Yeah.
1: Smash cut to, you know, I mean, twelve K files. Coming for- to you from the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just that you know that love-hate relationship with technology in general. You know, everybody. I love what it can do and what I can create with it, but then it, the, the technical side hits, and I'm like, I'm not built for this. You know, <laughs> I mean, I can I built my computer and I can I can handle.
0: There's a lot of expletives every yeah, time I build so sort of I, I have a
2: trick for that that oh. you can use if you want. Yeah, I, I developed this years ago when I was doing a lot of visual effects work, and um, my computer would crash all the time. Is Every time I had a crash where I lost, you know, work, work that I'd been working on for hours or whatever, as soon as the crash happened, I would just walk away from the computer and go and buy a chocolate bar somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what that did is condition my brain so that every time there's a crash, I go, Oh, I get chocolate. <laughs> cause like, cause there's always the guilt of eating a chocolate bar. Yeah. Like, Oh, I shouldn't, shouldn't be eating a chocolate bar. So I, turn that around that i earn this chocolate bar because i just lost three hours of work or yeah whatever it is. it's like the path so you find me like yeah. smashing the yeah. keyboard it's like so every years. time you get a crash you now just think oh i get chocolate yeah. <laughs> and and you also kind of walk away which sort of just is better than just like sitting down and starting from scratch like three seconds after you lost everything so. yeah Um, I highly recommend
0: everyone listening to adapt the.
2: uh...
1: I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to have a chocolate bar for computer.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna have to buy a stock now and hide them from you every time it happens. And just (laughs) quietly slide it on your desk as you start crying. Embrace Because the crash. I think like, yeah, I
1: think a lot of times, you know, and I know for me, I get frustrated when things happen. It just accelerates your problem solving. So you then you're, you automatically start trying things where you take that moment and sit and, all right, what's happening? How, what's the best? You know, you never give yourself that moment to really think through. And I, I do this all the time. You know, as soon as something breaks, I'm like, I, I want to keep going. I'm in this zone. I want to keep going. I don't want this. Yeah. But um. I wanted to, as as much as I love complaining about shit, I wanted to (laughs) uh, change gears a little bit and talk more about filmmaking and and your journey in that, Um, because I watched on a lot and I couldn't tell you who won, but I remembered you from it. And I feel like that's probably a lot of people because you had such a, I don't know if like unique skill set, because certainly plenty of people do it. But I think you stood out with with that, with your ability to tell Mm -hmm. stories, but then your ability to use the technical side of it to further the storytelling of that so yeah I wanted to kind of start with that and like if if and how that helped your career and then kind of where it went from there
2: yeah it was both super helpful and not um but it was at, (laughs) at the very least it was in one of the best experiences of my life I mean you I was 22 so it was like I was still basically like didn't know anything I it was my first time ever in Los Angeles. So that was sort of mind blowing. Mm. And then, you know, it was sort of like the ultimate filmmaker summer camp where you got to make a new um, film basically every week in a different genre with an entire professional LA film crew at your disposal. Um, It was also like super high. It was like super high stress, but super high like achievement because it was like, you had to write something that six days later 10 million people were going to vote on and if it sucked you're going home so like you had to write it shoot it (laughs) edit it you know and and put it out on the air and then get critiqued live and then get sent home based on your performance and that sort of pressure cooker I think definitely at the beginning made me more creative than I've I I think maybe I've ever been because there is a certain amount of creativity that comes out of nowhere when you have to perform yeah mm-hmm. um and ex- excuses no longer work and you've you've just got a deadlines are really good for that I think um over time I I sort of had like a mini career that summer in that over time you run out of your creative juices when you are performing at that level and I did sort of by the end I think start to become a bit more derivative because you just you can only sort of be as performing at the highest level of ingenuity for so long until you start running out of inspiration, Mm -hmm. mostly because they kept us completely sequestered and locked away from any type of contact with anyone. Um, So when you, when you're an artist and you have no new points of inspiration or, or conversations or see new pieces of art or new films or anything, you pretty quickly run out of, of new ideas Mm -hmm. um, because you run out of inspiration immediately um, following the show. Um, I mean, one of the main things that happened is I met um, Adam Stein, who was on the show, who became uh, my lifelong best friend and as close to a brother as I have. And and he uh, now has become my co-director, co-writer, co-producer and sort of business partner in everything that I do, you Mm -hmm. know, 13 years later. Um, At the time, uh, it was the summer of 2007, which some listeners, if they're old fogies like us, might remember that. Um, there was a writer strike that year Mm -hmm. and then the recession of 9, 10. Um, so basically the film industry kind of just shut down, uh, at the end of 2007. So it was not a great time to suddenly be launching onto the scene. Mm -hmm. I, I was the part of it that I got as someone who, who wasn't living in LA before that was I got a really great agent who I'm still with to, the, to this day from, from that show. I got a whole bunch of great shorts that people really responded to, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually work for like four years after the show, oh, wow. um, which was a really, because basically the whole industry um, shrank because yeah. of the, at the time, a lot of the money was, was in the stock market and the stock market mm-hmm. collapsed um, and the writer's strike collapsed And so uh, collapsed sort of the, the creative market. So then pretty much everyone who was already established, needed jobs and they they kind of took up a lot of the introductory jobs um, because so there wasn't a lot of room for newcomers because super veterans needed to pay for their mansions and houses (laughs) so they they took the introductory jobs um, but I did a lot of um, and I was pretty depressed for a lot of that time and at the time you know one thing that really helped me kind of get out of that depression was um, my dad was kind of telling me about how you know, I'm putting all my, all my current happiness in a future achievement. I'm saying I will be happy when I yep. make a movie. Yep. Um, and if you live through life that way, you will eventually make a movie and be happy for five minutes. Mm-hmm. And then you will have a new thing that you will be happy when, yep.
0: um,
2: and instead, and that is a very, you know, you'll be on your deathbed realizing you were happy for 5% of your life yeah um and so he helped me sort of reframe it as um enjoying the process and and finding the things that you can enjoy every day and that instead of being outcome mindset being sort of process mindset yeah um and that uh was also helped by i heard a quote around then from guillermo del toro saying that making film is like eating a shit sandwich you have to eat all the shit before you get to the crust
0: yeah (laughs) and
2: and I was like, okay, well, if Guillermo is going, if, if, it's, if it's hard for him and he's struggling and he's got ups and downs and he's at his level, then, then everyone is having difficulty. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that means I'm, I'm doing what everyone's doing, which means I'm already doing it. Yeah. And sort of that really helped me reframe what I was doing. And it also helped me, it may have been a coincidence, but I also then got my, that first film I was telling you guys about, the monster movie for sci-fi. And that sort of was basically, you know, sci-fi monster movies for the, te- you know, sci-fi channel was basically the bottom of the industry that you could imagine, right? Like That's basically the lowest form of movies you can do, <laughs> basically. Um, but diving into that and just being I don't like, know, okay, lifetime's pretty rough, but. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of lifetime, hallmark, and sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. Depending yeah. On, de- Bring depending it up on a little your, at least. <laughs> but, and I, and now most of my friends who are, are working directors, we all started there. Um, Mm -hmm. because that's sort of a great place for first-time filmmakers to get a paying job. Mm -hmm. Um, And because most people who do those jobs want to then go on to do something bigger, there's a big turnover. Um, People don't end up usually getting parked there and doing that Mm -hmm. for their whole career. Um, And that job led to another job, and they weren't like my dream jobs. Um, I think every filmmaker starts off thinking they're going to be Spielberg or Tarantino and have one movie that then sets them for life. Yeah. Um that the vast 99% of of all directors, if not 99.99999% mm-hmm. of directors, um it's a progressive thing. You you mm-hmm. do one job, which leads to the next job, which leads to the next job, and you're getting closer and closer to the type of stuff that you love doing. And all those jobs are actually really rewarding and, and great learning experiences along the way. Um and eventually I started co-directing uh with Adam, who who I met on that show, and um and we've had a lot of huge successes recently together and, and a lot of exciting stuff in the future.
1: You know, we make films together and we're married. So there's yeah. that. For now. For now. Yeah. <laughs> but do you, how, how, what's the, um, how's the process work, we're, you know, working with, with Adam and you and, you know, everybody has their own kind of process. But, you know, you're u- ultimately making one thing, you know, but you yeah. have two minds doing it. So do you, I guess just what's the process between, between you two?
2: Sure. Well, I'm also very curious what your guys' process is because Adam and I don't have to fight over doing laundry and doing the dishes and all those other things. So.
0: <laughs> we don't either. Um, I mean, just do both of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, perfect. Yeah.
2: Um, so, yeah, I mean, we we started off by doing very small things together, a few short films. We did a little web series for, for Niantic, which is uh, the Google company that makes, like, Pokemon Go and, and games like that. And we kind of did smaller stuff at first and really immediately realized that we really enjoyed the we were already best friends and so we already knew we were on a lot of the same wavelength wavelengths and liked all the same stuff um but we we were sort of both really energized by how much more fun and how much how better the work was when we collaborated with someone um and it was kind of funny when we started doing it a lot of people were sort of I don't know. There was sort of this like outward, he and I were just like diving in, loving it. But from the outside, a lot of people were like, Are you gonna keep like directing with someone else? Like, aren't Mm -hmm. you gonna also do your own thing? Like, like you're a director by yourself. Like it was sort of almost like they had identified me as a as a singular director. Mm Because I started my career by myself, so did Adam. And then we joined, whereas most co-directors either are siblings or people that grew up together and, Mm -hmm. and always did it together. We chose to come together and it was it really threw people for a loop for many years until we had bigger successes together. But for us, the process that we kind of landed on, and it took many years to kind of work on it. I think at the very beginning, the reason it worked at all was we um, both of us um, are very excited about being egoless and letting the best idea win and, and basically let having it be the whatever's best for the project, not whatever is our, our, our personal idea. Mm -hmm. And we're both for whatever reason, just on a friendship level beyond, we even started working together, just like, um, in any sort of romantic relationship, we were able to have difficult conversations without them, uh, being difficult. So we were able to, I think that's, that's a bare necessity for any relationship, whether it's working or, or, and I have had working relationships in the past that fell apart. Because I we weren't able to have candid conversations, um, but all the successful romantic relationships and work relationships I've had are are with people where you can literally have talk about anything when there's a problem mm-hmm. immediately without shouting or crying, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> in a excited like oh this, oh it's great we're able to have this conversation because it's going to be better now. Right. If yeah. you find if you got to find people that you can do that with. And then start thinking about having a a collaborative, um, because it's such an exposed thing to collaborate creatively because you are putting out ideas that are from you. Mm -hmm. Um, And if the other person uh, isn't on the same wavelength on on a communication level, um, if one person is, if it's not a balanced kind of experience, Mm -hmm. um, it'll self-destruct. And I've seen other friends of mine Uh, have relationships like that, that have self-destructed. And so Adam and I just immediately knew that we had found someone that we could be completely candid with. We could be not only candid on the work, but candid on the relationship and and say, Hey, when you did that or said that it didn't make me feel good. Yeah. And it, it it would be better in the future if we did it this way. And through many, 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 you know, starting with small projects and getting bigger and bigger, we kind of have developed a whole line of sort of, understandings that have made the relationship work really well Mm. and still continue to to find things uh you know small examples like on our on one of our last films i came to set because i was away from set for like five minutes and the camera was on the opposite side of the room than it should have been and so i walked over to the camera guy i'm like what are you doing we said the camera should be over there and now you're putting it over here what are you like And he's like, oh, uh, well, the other director just told me to put it here. Um, And what had happened is something had come up in those five minutes that I was away Mm -hmm. where we needed to pivot that I was unaware of. Mm -hmm. And the the totally right decision was to put it over there, but I went to the camera person instead of to my collaborator. And so now if one of us steps away from set, the first person you talk to is whoever has been on set because, Mm -hmm. as you guys know, in three minutes, the whole plan can can change. Yeah. What did I miss? And so... Yeah, you got to connect with the person and be like, okay, I was away, you know, here's what I did while I was away. What did you do while you were here? Great. And then approach the crew and, and all sorts of ways to kind of make sure that there's one voice going to the crew rather yeah. than two different voices mm-hmm. is really, really key. Um, it's much easier to collaborate in the prep and and writing stage and the post stage because there's not that minute to minute deadline, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, having to kind of turn on a... Yeah on a dial having to make
1: the day and whatnot. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So a lot of our more regimented sort of practices are, are for actually the specific specificity of shooting so that that's as efficient as possible because everybody on set is looking for the opportunity to be like, Oh, see, because there's two of you now, (laughs) uh, this isn't working. Like I knew it wasn't going to work because there was two of you. Um, they're all looking for that opportunity. So you just have to be (laughs) at your expert level of looking like, to the point where people think we're my, reading each other's minds because we'll we'll have had so many conversations yeah. preparing for mo- specific moments. To, you know, like we'll get to set an hour before anyone gets to set. Like literally, the PA who's unlocking the gate, we're the first people they see, so that he and I walk through every single shot of the day on the floor with the the set. You know, so that by the time and talking about this this shot's going to be really important this moment's going to be really important we need to make sure this actors have been having this issue we need to make sure we we get this out of them in this moment so that by the time we're shooting you know often one of us is by the camera and one of us is at the monitors um, you know Adam will turn around look at me I'll nod and then we'll both say okay moving on and we something has been communicated we yeah. know what it was because we've been talking about it all day but everyone else is like what did they yeah. Or, he'll look at me and i'll and I'll just do a hand single, and he'll know what I mean because we've already had so many conversations about it from the outside. It looks like mind reading, but um it just takes a massive amount of prep it I would say co-directing and I'm sure you guys would say the same thing is 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 more work than if you just do it by yourself, but we've found that the work is much better yeah. that the end product um, ends up being so much better in and in those in that sort of five percent of the time or um, it's much more when we're writing, but in that sort of 5% of the time when when we disagree about something, um, where we both really see it differently, um, what we've found, and is again one of the reasons we've really decided to basically exclusively work together, is that usually when I see it one way and he sees it the other, there's some inherent issue with the scene, mm-hmm. because the scene should be it should be pretty clear which way it is. So if right. we're both seeing it. The other, there's some inherent issue. So then what we immediately turn to, and this works really well for for any type of collaboration, is instead of being like, no, it should be that she walks to the window. No, it should be she walks to the door. We just say, well, why is it important to you that it be that way? Right. And and why why is it important to you that she be at the door? Why is it important to you that she be at the window? And then usually from there from there we we both immediately realize what it is we're each trying to achieve, not the actual specific outcome. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we see either, oh, this third option would achieve both those things, which, and it's usually way better than either of those initial yeah. first two ideas. Um, or we realize there's some inherent issue that's causing us to both think we're trying to achieve two different things. This scene shouldn't be trying to achieve two different things. Mm-hmm. Trying to achieve this and, and we'll achieve what you want in the next scene. And this scene's better suited to achieve this and and so looking at what you're trying to achieve rather than whose idea wins yeah. um, always leads to better better ideas.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you guys kind of go through the whole process together, you know, where you're, yeah. where, for us, we it's kind of, it's more segmented, you yeah. know? So um, she's uh, a naturally gifted writer. And sometimes I, I struggle <laughs> with dialogue and character <laughs> development and stuff like that. We collaborate, but at the end of the day, she's going to write it I'm going to direct it. She's going to act in it, do a lot of the producing. I'm going to do all the post. you know, yeah. whatever, whatever it is that we can't afford, which is pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> in that regards, each person's kind of thing is, I don't want to say is where they take the lead, because if I'm editing and she, and she watches it and it's not working for her, then it's like, well, then it should be working for you. Because, so what's wrong right. with the, ed- you know, same kind of, same kind of idea. So. It's a little different in that way, and for me, as a as a director that doesn't really write. Ever since I'm, we started collaborating. I I don't write as much, but I I'm I'm fine with reading what she wrote and and saying how I feel <laughs> I about anything. But I tend to fall back on what the intent of the writer has. If I'm reading something and I and I feel like this should be this way and I, and I, you know, that's my interpretation of what that idea is versus it just being a straight idea. I have things that I will fight for and she'll have things where, you know, she's right. I'm right. I want this to happen, but I don't care how it happens. But this is what, you know, so there's a lot of flexibility in that. But um, if it's not something I'm going to die on a hill for, I'll just fall back to the writer because you know we're not curing cancer here. So it's like if the scene (laughs) is going to be shot from this angle with this type of lighting, then if that accomplishes the goal that I want, which is the emotional goal of the scene, then that's great. I I don't want to get bogged down in the technicalities of anything. And so we're able to make that work. And, And again, to your point, for us, it's just having that complete openness and honesty. We always talk about how important it is to have people in your life that will give you honest feedback. Yeah. You know, call it criticism or whatever, but just saying you love something because you like that person doesn't do that person any good as an artist at all. And so yeah. we're big proponents of people telling us we suck,
0: ultimately.
2: <laughs> yeah. Adam and I have kind of, not a lot of people know this, but we've sort of institutionalized that as our, in, into our process where we, um, we've always been really inspired by what, how Pixar makes their movies. Um, and sort of the, and also, you know, it's, it's, it's very common in the software world. I don't know how much, you know, about software development, but they've had a massive. (laughs) uh, well, you've kind of probably experienced it and you haven't really noticed it, which is that 20 years ago, you would get a new piece of software every two years. And it would launch as a big oafish, like, here's the new Photoshop. Here's the new Microsoft word every two or three years. Mm -hmm. Right. And all of those features would launch sort of at once. Um, And now you've probably noticed you're getting an update every two weeks.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, Well, what's changed there? (laughs) And what's changed is a completely rebuilding of how how software is designed. And it's it's called basically agile development, which is basically um, instead of spending years making one thing and then releasing it to see if those years of work are actually what the audience wanted and oh wait it's got tons of bugs mm. um, oh and oh wait the hardware is completely changed since the two years ago when we started yeah. doing this. people engineers started be, thinking there's got to be a better way and what they've instead done is called agile development or iterative development and basically they start with a very 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 small simple version of what it is that they want to create um, the perfect example of this is minecraft I don't know if you guys know much about minecraft mm-hmm. but when it started, it was literally like a guy in a flat world with like one block, like he could like move one block at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they released that to a very small group of people, um, early adopters. And then, Oh, it'd be cool if we had this block. And then they had that block and then they work on that for two weeks and they release that and they release that. And every two weeks, they're releasing a tiny change based on the feedback that they're getting from the early adopters. And over time, the people using it is broadening because the usefulness of the thing mm-hmm. is getting bigger, mm-hmm. um, and so that's completely changed. No software now is designed in a way where maybe just the AAA title video games are kind of now they spend years building something to launch it. Yeah, um, and Pixar developed because they kind of arose in Silicon Valley as well a very similar process, which was one of and they can do it in animation where they have very rough drawings that they create and they present them and and they have an audience watch it and and give feedback and then they go back completely rip it all up and do it again with slightly better drawings and slightly better drawings and eventually some rough animation is a better animation and through the entire process of the three or four years it takes to make a pixar movie they've shown it many 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 times Mm -hmm. to audiences so that by the time it comes out Guess what? It has ninety-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes because they've shown it to audiences yeah. re- repeatedly for years. Yeah. And so Adam and I did a very similar thing on our film, our indie film, Freaks. Um, we tried to see if that same process would work for live action. So we um, we did uh, script readings of the script um, for a year. I think we did six, about six or seven of them, um, where we got actors together, did it with an audience, got the feedback, completely rewrote it from scratch um you know the first reading we did people didn't understand what the movie was about whatsoever because it was a mystery and they just completely didn't understand what the what the reveal was <laughs> by the last draft we had agencies calling us begging us to send the script to their to their clients not because we had we were that much better writers but we had we had iterated it with an audience mm-hmm. to the point where especially with a mystery where you have you have no idea what they're picking up or not yeah um and then we we continued that process through the entire filmmaking process. We, we ended up shooting a very rough version of the movie before we shot the actual movie. Um, just like a black box theater version, like just shot the whole movie in three days with people pretending to drive in like <laughs> chairs and like, just to get on, get it on its feet yeah. and like learn what you learn when you're shooting something and you go, Oh wait, this scene doesn't make any sense. Right. It made sense on the script, but now seeing it, it doesn't make any sense. And uh, we edited that. Uh, Then we shot the movie and then we did a massive amount of test screenings. We did a, a screening of the movie every weekend for four months while we edited. So we would edit for five days, show it to about five or six people. They'd say, Oh, this doesn't make any sense. This whole, I didn't understand anything about this. And we'd edit for five days, show it to a whole new group of five people. And they'd go, well, this didn't make any sense. I didn't understand anything about this. Even though we just, edited yeah. for five days yeah, yeah. to try and fix that and we would realize okay well we still usually directors and editors because you lose perspective pat yourself on the back you're like oh we got a note we changed it we nailed it but you never go back to test to see if you did nail it. Yeah. um and in some cases it took five or six repeats to fix something mm-hmm. um and then by the end of you know when we made that movie it, it hit theaters with a 90% in rotten tomatoes it, it won audience choice awards all around the world and um and it was in the next Top 10 of Netflix for like two and a half weeks, which for a in, tiny indie movie, uh, you know, at the same time, Altered Carbon r- was released where? and our $1 million movie was released. <laughs> we were in the top 10 next to each other. Um, but that was because of kind of battle testing it with audiences all the way through. Um, and I think that approach sort of comes naturally because there's two of us. We're naturally doing that all the time right. where it's very easy as a director to sort of become the, well... We're doing it my way because I'm the director. Um, but when there's two of you, you sort of automatically are in this dialogue all the time, mm-hmm. yeah. and so it it sort of opens you up to candid feedback and dialogue from others, and that always makes the project better.
0: I think mean, that definitely takes a, um, a a very specific personality. Um, yes. the difference you've you um, got to be the right person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's the difference we often talk about the difference of wanting to make films and then wanting to be a filmmaker, being known as a filmmaker. And we make films, you know, nobody knows we're filmmakers unless they know us, you know, (laughs) that's, that's just how it is, but we're good. I'm good with that. We're good with that. And of course there's always the, the the bonus of someone seeing your work or your work getting a bigger budget or getting picked up. I mean, that's lovely, but, um, it's not our goal, I guess, you know, it's just kind of, it's just sort of a plus at that point, but Mm -hmm. having, uh, having two people want to be the director, I think, is often a nightmare. And yeah. so many uh, <laughs> of my actor friends, when they talk about projects that they're in, I, I'm i always baffled by how many projects don't get completed. And this was something that was just new to me because, you know, so much work goes into us making, since we produce everything and pretty much, I mean, we do some crowdfunding, but like 70% of the funds are out of our pocket. I can't imagine going through all of that work and then not finishing something. That to me is just complete insanity. But yeah. evidently this is the way a lot of people function in this business and in, in the indie, uh, to, and, and all levels of indie film. And they'll tell me about like, yeah, you know, I did this movie, but you know, it didn't get released. I'm like, what do you mean it didn't get released? Why are you all saying this? Like why? <laughs> so they spent a year or two years filming this different locations, all this stuff. And then, um, Several times when it's been two filmmakers working together, it was a miscommunication. Well, they had yeah. this fallout, and then this one claimed they owned the rights to it, and then this one, and then the whole thing crashed. And I'm like, oh my god, this is like. So when when people successfully work together, it's great.
2: You have to do. Sm- I think if it's a new a new collaboration, you really got to do small stuff together first, because yeah. um, those issues will come up. Like I'm sure you guys have done even like 24 hour, 40 hour film festivals where you like make a movie in like two days just for like the fun of it. Those same issues with people like come out. (laughs) And so Um, it's really great to like do small stuff with people when you're trying to learn if if you're a good collaboration mm -hmm. before you dive into the several year long process of of, uh, collaborating with someone. Getting
0: along with somebody on a personal level doesn't mean that you get along with them on a professional level right not well, learn that the hard way too i'd imagine
2: <laughs> especially when um i've had this experience too like it's easy it's it's a lot easier in the indie world when there's no money on the table
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: um, but if you do make something on an indie level that suddenly
0: oh god yeah m-
2: money shows up that changes people too yeah um and so that's why even if you are best friends uh and you've done stuff for peanuts your whole life together Still having contracts of what happens if money arrives is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> very, very important because that's the only thing that'll like um, basically maintain the friendships. Yeah, he and save he, the movie.
0: He had um, when when we had started dating, he had a friend that was wanting to go. he. They were making films together, but like just for fun. When I met him, he they were like kind of doing stuff for fun, and and I was like really look, bad horror films. Yeah, well, that's what everybody does, and yeah, so, you know. And I was just like, I was like, I think that you know. I liked writing at that point, but I'd never written like scripts for anybody. I'd never had anything actually, you know, come to fruition. But I was like, if you like doing this, then why don't you stop making shitty horror movies and like, actually like make a film, you know what I mean? Like to stop because it was, you know, it started as the hangouts, you know, so I'd see pictures of the behind the scenes and everyone's like buzzed or drunk. And I'm like, this is, (laughs) this is a functioning set. Like what's going on here. And um, the first time we made a film together, there was a bit of that going on and by at the end of it i was like look like i would love to work with you in a partnership but i can't like this to me is not functioning this is a party where you're filming and that's totally different from actually making a film so like yeah. if people's feelings are going to get hurt and you kind of have to make that decision. Like they can't come hang out on set. Like that's not what we're doing. We're also feeding everybody. So if you serve no purpose, get out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't afford that.
1: Yeah, and it's so it's so it's so easy to fall into that because. You know, when I first started making stuff, the only way I could get, you know, I lived in a small town, so the only way I could get people to help me is if I, you know, gave them free food or free beer or something like that. So it was so hard to kind of cut that safety blanket of like, well, I can get 20 people here, but if I just supply beer and then I can film a party scene and just... Right. They'll think it's cool and fun, so they'll play along and whatever, and I'll get and I'll get what I need and everything. But as you know, you get to a certain point, and we're, we keep climbing that ladder. And while yes, I, I love telling stories, and I'll make something on an iPhone if I have to, but at, at the same time, I want to continue to grow my abilities and yeah. my and my career and stuff. So you have to have to be able to kind of like keep moving forward and and kind of let that stuff stuff go and and be confident in yourself. You know, there's a huge lack of confidence. At the beginning of my career, you know, I started out doing a lot of like um, films that had that would rest on the fact that I I learned this cool technique on how to make someone's head explode or something like that. So, you know, that the storytelling, you know, wasn't confident enough in it to kind of let it live on its own, and and that kind of bled into the process itself. So I'm bringing all these people in and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah, that was a that was a, a huge moment for me of of kind of separating from making films with my buddies and and making films as a as a as a piece of art
0: i came in like the yoko of that yeah that must have been difficult
2: (laughs) i um i can't remember where i heard this but i think it was maybe from adam but someone told me that like you start off when you're making movies and everyone you're making the movie with is a friend of yours Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and then you get to a level where everyone you're making the movie with isn't like a, a close friend of yours but you know all their names and then you get to a level where you're making a movie where you don't know everyone's name but you know what everyone everybody does mm. um, if you don't know what their name is you at least know what they're doing there yeah. uh, and then you get to a level where you don't know anyone's name and you don't know what anyone's doing because there's so many people on set yeah. <laughs> someone will walk by and you're like I have never seen that person before. <laughs> I have no idea what they're doing um, but they're here for some reason and then you know, it's a kind of a weird progression.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I, we I, still know
1: everyone's name, so <laughs> yeah. I think
0: we're, we'll probably just hang out there for the rest of our lives. But uh, yeah, the the with the collaboration on that, um, you know, he had he brought it to me and said, oh, you know, so and so wants to start a production company because he already had his, and uh, you know, he wants to like melt them together and and have like a co partnership and this and that. And looking at their, just their styles and personal movies, like not making films together, but just what they watched, I was like, that's not going to (laughs) work. And, you know, but it's like his buddy and he's like, you think? And I was like, I think that if you want to stay friends with this person, then you should not do that because you couldn't be any more different in the way that you make films. You are never going to agree on stuff and it's going to be a constant clash you know, just yeah. stylistically alone, just like what, you know, he watches versus, versus what you watch. And, you know, we we can totally fall into the artsy fartsy. I mean, I'll watch brainless movies, but I, you know, I love stuff that makes me <laughs> think. And this other person was more like anything complex. They're like, that's stupid. You know, so I was like, I don't think this is going to this isn't going <laughs> to go like well at all. Um, So. You know, it's 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 that it's fun to do together, but it's a completely different thing when there's actual money on the line, when it's an actual production. And I think, you know, those friendships can be strained. It, it, going back to the point of just it really takes a, a certain kind of friendship. It's not lack called show friendship ego. right, or whatever <laughs> yeah,
1: business.
2: But I think you can just start small and and uh, work your way up and you'll 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 find the people that, yeah.
1: Yeah. that work really well. Yeah, and that's that's always been our thing. Is you know we we've been pretty good so far. Knock on wood of really like vetting people before they get on our set, and um, because we're, you know it's all of our own money, and and time is is so precious, and um, and relationships are so important to us that you know we have people that we've brought on that are actors or, or whatever and we're like still personal friends with them to this day. And, you know, I think it just makes everything go that much smoother when you can spend the extra time in pre-production and casting and, and when you're building your out your crew. If you're able to, you know, if you're on our level where we still have uh a big hand in that. Um it's just so important to me to have that kind of philosophy. I guess, or or that kind of feeling on set. Like I just don't want any assholes on set, just <laughs> a big, causing. We don't want problems. any assholes on set. That's, that's just, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That that's that's all put it is. You know, we've been lucky, and we had, you know, we our last shoot, we had uh, our, our set. We've told the story before, but we had our sound guy got into a car accident like the day before we started shooting. And it was our biggest film that we put the most money into, and it was the longest shoot, and maybe not the longest shoot, but it was a, you know, six, six day shoot at living at a location. And so, so he was lucky enough to, we were lucky enough that he was able to find somebody to fill in and we never even had like one phone conversation with him before we started shooting. So I was nervous about that, but it worked out. So it was all good. And I don't know, it's just, those situations are gonna happen. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. But anything within your control, I mean this I guess this goes to all of filmmaking. Anything that's in your control, you need to control that because there's so many things on a set that are out of control. You know, the <laughs> how the sun is gonna be and at any specific time, how long the shot's gonna take to set up, and then this person didn't show up, so now we're down a person and you know, there's just all this stuff happening. And you have to be able to focus on all of those things. And so if you take the time to control all the things you can control they're already set and you're ready to go and so now you can because i i'm the type of person i like that kind of pressure i like being on set i don't like when things go wrong but when things go wrong i don't like give up or throw my hands up i i get into like creative mode like how can we solve this problem let's figure it out right now let's go uh i kind of like that you know i i get like uh, yeah it's addictive yeah our last shoot was a big that was a big we almost went with somebody and then we didn't and we like this person personally but does it work on a professional level you know and maybe it doesn't
2: well reference you know references are basically the best way of doing that because you can't really tell what it's going to be like uh, to work with someone just from hanging out with them when the pressure's on and so um, calling I get calls all the time every week from people asking what it's what what it was like to work with people that I've worked with and I and I do the same for people that I've never worked with before when Mm -hmm. I'm interviewing um, because calling someone and finding out, you know, usually it's a phone call because no one ever wants nobody wants to write it down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, it's you know you get usually you get either rave reviews or stay away at all costs. You don't usually get anything in between. Mm. Um, but that's really great to you know everyone sort of relies on that and does it for other people. Yeah, yeah. It's so
1: it's so important. It it literally you know could cost you a lot of money you
0: know so are you working so are you working on any new shorts or features or anything do you do you still plan on doing shorts um i haven't
2: done a short in a long time i don't know if i could even tell you the last time i, did sure. I feel like when people uh, go
0: into features they tend not to go back to shorts but every so often yeah. you'll find people that do so i always, I always yeah, ask. i'm not, I'm not <laughs> against
2: it it's just the opportunity or the reason hasn't really kind of popped up yeah mm-hmm. um I've, uh, yeah, mostly right now I do TV and film. So, um, and in the last few recent years, uh, mostly been focusing on the stuff that I create myself rather than, uh, the jobs that, um, that come forward. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, uh, it's a tough game. Once you, once you transition from the indie world to actually like the the industry where you're selling ideas to other people. Um, That can be really exciting because, A, you're making money um, and you're working with impressive people. But the other thing that happens is all the the ability to actually make the thing is all the power to green light that thing goes to somebody else. You can no longer just make the thing because you want to make it. You have to, you're completely reliant on other people saying, okay, now we're going to make it, Mm -hmm. Um, which means that the vast majority of things don't get made. Um, And so you're in this weird position where you're, extremely lucky to be sort of making a living creatively even though you're very rarely ever on set <laughs> which is a yeah. weird uh you know basically the hard part of the job becomes getting on set that actually shooting the thing becomes the easy fun part um and you can spend a year or two years to get to get on set for a month or two um mm-hmm. and repeat um, and so, yeah, right now, Adam and I have a lot of exciting potential projects. Um, but you sort of, all any one of them going would be life-changing, but you you have to kind of have like 10 of them going because right, um, the yeah. likelihood of one going is one in 10. Right. right. Um, and so there's really huge, exciting movies we're working on. There's smaller, interesting horror films that we're working on. There's um, really giant, epic fantasy television series that we're, we're working on sort of all of which are at places with money behind it, you know, moving through the system. Mm. Um, but, uh, (laughs) I couldn't tell you if any of them are going (laughs) to happen, but you have to, again, not be outcome mindset and just be, just be thankful that you're making a living being creative and, and, uh, enjoy the process of collaborating with people and, um, and also try and have a few projects on the side that you do control so that, You have you can there's always something you can be pushing along while you work on the stuff that um,
0: that others are sort of in control of. Yeah. Well, that I mean that's awesome, and so we we look forward to kind of like following what you're going to be doing next, seeing yeah. seeing what gets greenlit, I guess. And uh, do you do you, do you have uh, are you on the socials? Do you have Instagram and all that.
2: Yeah, okay. it's just my name, Zach Lepofsky, Um and then shotlister app. Uh, for all the other ShotLister-related things. All right, cool. The
1: guy from ShotLister. The guy from (laughs) ShotLister.
2: Yeah. And, um, yeah, usually we do a giveaway. I don't know if you guys want to do a giveaway, but anyone who emails, go gorilla at shotlister.com, and then just say if you want macOS, iOS, or Android, and we'll send you a a copy.
1: I would recommend the iOS because I love using it on an iPad. That's my favorite device to use it on. Um, yeah, that's
2: kind of what we built it for yeah. uh, at the very beginning. Um, but people ended up like Mac OS has become very popular because it's a lo- sometimes like for a feature, it's a lot of information to, act, yeah, to enter yeah. into your iPad. We um, don't have so that much easier.
1: information yet. So <laughs> <laughs> plus, walking around, you know, for someone like for for me, when I'm doing a lot, when I'm on set as the director and I'm doing a lot of the uh, wearing a lot of hats, having that, you know, I don't have to carry a laptop. I just have the the iPad. And, and just follow along and, and mark stuff off as it's done and and move things around and or just forget altogether and then you're like, shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Scrap that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on. We'll have links to everything and, uh, you know, there's a giveaway. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's cool. Um, so we'll have links to yeah, everything. Yeah, well, we've
2: just found that, like, when we give, the product away, people love it and end up telling people about it. So it's yeah. a great way. Yeah, how just that get works? Word of, yeah. Word of mouth.
1: Yeah. Well, I gotta, I gotta. You know, we've been singing. I've been singing the praises at least of of Shot yeah, Lister for several times,
0: yeah.
1: for you know as long as we've been doing this podcast. So um, maybe one or two of those have converted to sales. I don't know. I can't say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it has. Our lawyer will contact your lawyer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. And uh, we, uh, you know, we hope to have you on in the future to see what you work on next.
2: That'd be awesome. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks. Thanks.
1: All right. That was Zach Lepofsky, the shotlister guy I'm from sure the, the shotlister guy from uh, On the Lot. You don't remember watching On the Lot? I do. Oh, OK. I just remember um, being so impressed with him, because, especially back then. And I just remember too like there, there was to a do. scene where like, I think it was like clothes hangers or something flew in the air and then froze. And this, and then there was one that was really cool where there was a scene and there was a moon through the window and then he like or the the, the, the grabbed the moon and brought it into the room or something. I Thought that was really cool.
0: He didn't sing any of those praises while he was still on. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go into details. <laughs> I'm about sure everything he's like I sick of hearing it.
1: like, oh my god, that was so long ago. I don't even care about. But whatever. But yeah. So um, he's been generous and like like you said, uh, if you email go gorilla mm-hmm. at Shotlister.com.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can uh, get a free copy of Shotlister. Hey. So get on it. Who doesn't want something free, stuff free? is
0: good. We like free stuff. And if you
1: already have a copy of it, just email them anyway. Get mm-hmm. another copy. <laughs> like if you have an iOS copy and you want a copy for a Mac OS, you know what I mean?
0: Hey. He's probably like, I didn't say that. I didn't <laughs> say all not, that. That's not what I <laughs> that uh, not to. That is not what I said. Yeah. Um, yeah so any losers. Um, Shout outs to Mo Graff. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm just never going to get say that.
1: No, we're going to have those guys on soon at some point, too. Yeah. Well, we're just, they've been slammed. They have guests until like December.
0: We have, yeah. And we have quite a few as well, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just been a, it's been a busy time. Yeah. Um, Steady Geekin, Reality Bomb Comic cast on up for debate. Uh, if you've got a film or something out there that you want us to see, send it our way. Review uh, if you've watched anything fun or whatnot. Um, you know, I know a lot of people are watching horror movies right now because they do like this is a thing, apparently. Yeah, um, I've been texting back and forth with Kat and she's like going through this list of like classic movies that she's never seen before that mm. are like horror movies, and so this is like the month I didn't know that was a thing that people are like, Oh, we watch horror movies because it's the month of October, and I'm yeah. like. It's
1: been the thing since forever. They always have horror movies going on. Yeah,
0: well, I know that, no, I know that, like, cable and stuff, you would see that like, growing up. They would they would obviously advertise those movies more, but, like, it's, like, a thing now to, like, watch as many horror movies as you can or yeah. like, something. And I'm like, oh, I just, I was just always watching horror movies. So yeah. I just assumed that when people, like, I haven't seen that, I'm like, really? So like, they got to wait for the next December to come around to yeah. go down the list, I guess. It's like a, it's like a... I don't know these kids. These kids, kids nowadays, today. things they do. I don't know. They they're TikTokers. I don't know. Yeah. Um so yeah, if you seeing anything particularly Twitter
1: talking and all that stuff.
0: I don't I don't there's nothing like really new horror that I, I tend not to like the newer stuff. Um I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean anyway.
1: they 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 I think they're trying to it seems like they're they're just trying to kind of like Pump some life into horror with like, adding um, some interesting takes on on horror stuff. You know, like the Ari Astros of the world and well, stuff. Well, yeah, like the,
0: the Jordan Peels and stuff. But that's Jordan different. Peel, there, yeah. there were always those levels of horror which were more like psychological and yeah. that type of stuff. But I just mean, and just in terms of like the lower budget horror movies, I I mm. I don't always like them. Uh, yeah. I usually don't like them if I'm being honest, because it's just it seems more, um, it's it's more visually based than story based yeah and and, you know for me it's like eh, okay whatever um i uh the one one film that developed like a bit of a cult following that i did actually like was the taking of deborah logan that was like a movie that i Mm. found footage stuff and that type of thing is usually so tricky to do and successfully i know a lot of people like cloverfield i didn't uh Dislike it, but it wasn't one of my favorites. I still think, like, when I think of found footage, I think of Blair Witch. To my knowledge, they were one of the first people to really Yeah, I'm sure there's some out.
1: obscure person that did it prior, but yeah.
0: Yeah, but, you know, on a mainstream level, yeah, yeah. in a movie theater, that was the first time you'd and ever it, seen it, found it, footage yeah. in a theater. You and know? plus
1: it was before, really, like, social media took off. And yeah. and so, like, I remember seeing it at the Danbury Theater mm-hmm. and, like, running into an old friend and they just saw it. And they're like, do you think this really happened? Do you think this really happened? <laughs> And so like, you know, you you don't really know. I was they talking to ran the they ran the most genius scam marketing <laughs> campaign. Yeah, scam. Yeah. But
0: I was talking to Kat about it cuz she had not seen it. Mm-hmm. So she saw it recently and um I think like initially going in, she's like, "Yeah, I'm not really liking this too much." And I was like, "You know, you had to be there." Yeah. Like too much has happened now with this to really appreciate it. You had to be there. You had to be. They had like these fake like the stories late 90s about it. Right? Yeah, early two thousands, late. You know, and to see to the, the amount of work that went into the marketing aspect of that film prior in pre production, just mm-hmm. to get the word of mouth that before this film had even hit theaters, people were talking about this footage that had been found. That Blair Witch is not a thing. Like yeah. it's not a thing, and. Nowadays,
1: um, it's like th- that.
0: They would debunk that in seconds. Yeah. You know, there, there's no way to actually pull. I mean, you have some people that are just gullible. And, you know, I mean, look, where we are politically, people will believe anything. Mm-hmm. So let's be honest. I mean, you can kind of get away with it, but not so much. And, um, you know, watching. I mean, I knew watching it. I was like, well, there's no way this is real. Like, they wouldn't release this. <laughs> it's just, like, this would be in, like, in, in the police custody or whatever. Like, yeah. there's no way this would get released. But. The fact that they even were able to fool people was was pretty cool. And um, you know, they they took a an approach with it in uh in not really letting the cast in on what was happening very much. So uh yeah, you know, they obviously knew that they weren't left for dead for a witch, but they didn't know like what way was up a lot of times and what was happening and they I believe they were coming in and like stealing their shit mm-hmm. so that they were losing stuff and it was like messing with their heads and um, I'm kind of on the cuff about stuff like that. Cause as an actor, I'd want to kill you. Like that's yeah. I didn't sign up for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope this film would hope that comes they with a paycheck and my therapy yeah. that I'm gonna need after that. But you know, I mean I get I get that as a, a as um as a quirky thing to do and how that would work and that shtick, that whole thing. I personally wouldn't enjoy it as night. <laughs> I wouldn't like that being done to me. But you know, then you had like paranormal activity, which I think probably was the one that like the, the second film yeah. to really do that that took it over you know mm-hmm. paranormal activity was a like very low budget then they And they made 15 of them they made 15 of them i didn't we only saw the first one I, i'm really interested in the rest but um yeah so it was just like you know having that found footage stuff and so deborah logan was another type of found footage um film that i thought oh god i'm not gonna like this at all but um, had there, some eerie moments yeah it did and, and there were moments that went too far for me that it was like oh okay because I I like I really like subtlety but mm-hmm. um, there were moments that were so that I don't think most people would find scary but to me were really creepy mm. uh, just in the way they just adjusted her voice ever so slightly Yeah, um, things like that work really nicely so I, I don't know I hope people do more films like that we'll see I don't well, know.
1: since we did our shout outs like 20 minutes ago, and now we're... <laughs> what? <laughs> kept, kept going.
0: Whatever. I
1: kid, I kid. Whatever. Um, so, you know, if you got anything that you're working on or... Yeah, you got I said that already, Paul. ...that you want us to I watch, already, go ahead Paul. and email us. Shout outs to MoGraph. And- we
0: said that already, Paul, so uh, Whatever.